Thanks, Ronnie. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So we've had a morning full of bubbles and a morning full of hula hoops, and I'm going to bring you right down to earth talking about being poor in spirit. So, uh, yeah. Um, so just a bit of background. You know, as we were going through a church, we spent a lot of the summer months looking at who Jesus was and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that was like because we were going through a transition and we wanted to know who our firm foundation was in. And um, following on from that, we now want to move on a bit and take it a bit of a logical step. Is We want to know what a follower of Jesus looks like. What it looks like for us to be Christians. What our lives should look like. And you know, there are many ways we could do this. There are many, many ways. books of the Bible, quotes, anything we could talk about to be a disciple. But we decided that we're going to look and use a set of teachings that Jesus gave called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are eight simple statements that Jesus made. The first thing he said on the Sermon of the Mount preach, Jesus' most famous preach. These are eight simple statements that Jesus made and all started with blessed Ah, and then he gave a statement of how you're blessed. Now, if you wanted to put it, and we're going to go into a bit more detail in a bit, but if you wanted to go like broadly speaking, when we talk about blessed, you can broadly translate that as happy, okay? And what I'm trying to get at is that these are, if you want, you can call this series Eight Ways to Be Happy. If you really wanted to, I know that sounds a bit postmodern, it sounds a bit like some self-motivational talk, but as we read through them, it's anything but that. But the point is, is, is that it's like eight ways to be happy. And I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it, because, you know, we live in a world that pursues happiness at any cost. The world is desperate for happiness. You know, I go into any of these shops, and you will always find those twee quotes about happiness do you know what I mean that you can put on your wall or whatever or and this isn't something new it's not a 21st century thing Audrey Hepburn um, she she once said the most important thing is to enjoy your life to be happy that is all that matters Um, we hear statements in life about do whatever makes you happy because YOLO Anyone heard of that? You only live once. YOLO. Do whatever makes you happy. And even this title, I deliberately suggested we should call the series this, Eight Ways to Bless Life, because it sounds like one of those motivational happiness things. That's the whole point of it. It's quite provocative. Um, It's human nature to frantically search for the magic formula in life of how we become happy. And there's loads of things that we look for and we pursue, and lots of them are great. We can find happiness in our friends. We can find happiness in our family. We can find happiness in our careers, in our finance. And on their own, they're all good things. But what happens is is that we, we frantically search for those things, and there is still not that peace and joy that we're looking for. There's a deeper longing in every person in the world to find true joy in life. And the reality is, for a world that is seeking happiness at all costs, we live in a world that is deeply, deeply unhappy. Deeply unhappy. And I don't believe this this is a new thing. 
This was like what it was in Jesus' time. People were searching for the keys to happiness and fulfillment just then. So what I want to do as we start this series, I want to read Matthew 5 verses 1 to 10 to see how Jesus says we are blessed as his followers. So these are the first two verses. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now I want to just start there, uh, stop there. Jesus did not go up on a mountainside and sit down because he was tired. He did not go and sit on a mountainside to get away from people. To sit on a mountain, to sit down, is taking up the posture, the position of a Jewish rabbi. To sit down and teach. The crowds are gathering. It was an act of authority. It was an act to sit. When he sat down on that mountainside, he's saying, I'm going to teach you. So they're ready to listen. This crowd is ready to listen. See, what is Jesus going to tell us? This is what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever read a motivational, self-help, happy book that tells you the way to be blessed, the way to be happy, is to mourn, to be meek, to be poor in spirit? It is the polar opposite of what the world will tell us to do. But this is radically different. But what Jesus was doing was not just telling us how to be happy, he was announcing his kingdom. He was announcing his rule and reign, what it looks like when he's the king. And it is completely opposite and different from anything we see around us. And what I'm going to start by saying is, being a Christian is a radical, different lifestyle from the world around us. We should look so different. I'm going to say it. Don't have to be weird, but we have to, we should be so, so different. And one of the main ways that we should be different is our pursuit of happiness. The things that the world pursues for happiness, we have a different perspective of it. Um, The Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says that the Beatitudes Beatitudes respond to the natural desire for happiness. The desire is of divine origin. God has placed it in the human heart in order to draw man to the one who alone can fulfill it. I love that. In other words, that natural desire that everyone has to be happy is given by God. It is a given by God that only he can fulfill that happiness. Amazing. And this is why I'm so excited as we unpack this series about these Beatitudes. Because as we start to unpack them, as we start to live them out, we're going to grow in the way that God has designed us to be. We're going to live out the blessing 
that he has called us to live in by pursuing him amongst all else. I'm really excited by it. It should be something that should stir us and change us. And um, what I'm going to start with is redefining what being blessed is. Um, Because what Jesus is not saying in these things, he is not saying you have to earn happiness, you have to earn the blessing by living out these beatitudes to perfection. Why he's not saying that is because Jesus' salvation is always by grace, not by law. It is a free gift. However, what he is saying is redefining what being blessed is. What it means is, is that this word that's used for blessed, if you just put the next slide on, it's a Greek word and it's so-called makarios. And makarios is a Greek word that is used at a time that means you're in a state of being in a favoured and privileged position. And it's a really interesting word um, because it's so much more than having a frothy feeling. It's so much more than your feelings. It's so much more that I'm in a good mood, I'm feeling happy. It's a state. It's the fact that that's, that's what you are. You're in a position. And the, the, um, it's a Greek word, and the way it was used previously, Greeks would call the ancient mythological Greek gods on the side, they were makarios. They were blessed. And why they were blessed is because the position they had is they just sat on Mount Olympus, being gods, eating grapes, having a right good time, having an easy life. And people would go, they are blessed. And yet that same word is used here for people who mourn, for people who are meek, and for people who are poor in spirit. Why? It's not because we as Christians live the easy life like the Greek gods. It's because our favoured and privileged position is with God himself. We are with God himself. You know, 1 Timothy 1.11 describes him as the Makarios God. He's supremely happy. Secondly, we have a Makarios, a privileged position of hope, the promise that God is with you and he promises to be with you for eternity. You see, the difference is between what the world's looking for, they're looking for a temporary blessing. They're looking for that dopamine hit. They're looking for that one thing that will just go, yeah, that makes me happy. My new clothes, my new car, my new whatever. And what God is saying is true blessing is not something temporary. It is an eternal hope. And we have all got it. If we are Christians, we are blessed. We are blessed. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how disappointed and unhappy you are, regardless of the doubts you are currently having, you are blessed. Because our position is in Christ, not in our circumstance. And what I'm trying to get at as we start this is is that it changes our mindset on being blessed. It's about, it's less pursuing happiness and knowing that we are blessed. And as we live that out in these different ways, we're going to grow. So the way I'm going to look at it today, I'm looking at the first one, which is being poor in spirit. If you can put the next slide on. So the first thing that Jesus says is blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Now, if you go to any kind of speaking training, you will be told that your first statement is so important because that's what gets people's attention. And yet the first statement that Jesus says as he sits down and takes that position is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, I think that's some outrageous statement to make. When you hear the word poor, you know, we naturally think of people who have material or financial lack. And uh, it would have probably provoked an image of a beggar on the street. And I just picked this one off Google of a, of, of a, a beggar on the street there. A person who was desperately crying for money. They had nothing. Being poor seems the polar opposite to what we would say is being blessed. It, um, it certainly doesn't feel like that privileged position that I was talking about. But what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about something far, far, far greater and far deeper than being financially poor. He's talking about spiritual poverty. He's talking, he's saying, the people who are blessed are the ones who don't overestimate their own achievements, who don't overestimate their own gifting, who know that actually they have nothing personally that they could do to give God within themselves. And they know that they couldn't survive without God. People who are desperate for God in everything. And if you go back to that image there of the beggar crying for money on the street, and you actually replace them, they're not crying for money, but they're crying out for God. That is a visual image of what it looks like to be poor in spirit. It seems undignified, it seems a bit uncomfortable, and yet that's exactly what Jesus says it is to be blessed. Let's just have a look at the people that Jesus was preaching to on the Beatitudes. There's just a few verses before in Matthew 4, 23 to 25. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. Whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed, or epileptic, or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and the east of the Jordan River. You see, Jesus was not preaching to the established and the rich in the society at this point. He was actually preaching to people, the crowd of people who were not deemed good enough in that time to participate in Jewish life. People who were financially poor, people who had diseases, people who were previously demon-possessed, people who were Gentiles, people who had no kind of social standing, yet here they were, desperate for Jesus. They were poor in spirit. They knew they had nothing else. And Jesus says, those are the kind of people who are blessed. Now, you might think I'm going quite left-wing here and saying that we, um, we have to get rid of everything then. And does this mean that to be poor in spirit means we, we, have to get, we have to be poor and we have to have a load of problems? That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying 
is that it is much, much, much harder in 21st century Western world culture to understand what it is to be poor in spirit. When we here have so much distractions around us, when our pace of life is so fast, when we have so many resources at the tip of our finger, when we have financial, I don't know, resources if you like, when we have so many responsibilities and the society around us celebrates pride and independence. When all this is going on, it can be far more difficult for us to recognize and live out our need for God. We've got this clashing world value, put the next slide on. It's pride and independence. You know, I think if I said the statement, as Christians, we all believe we can't live without God. I don't think anyone would disagree with that because that's why we're Christians. But I'm ashamed to say that as I actually break that down and look at my life, I don't always live like that. And um, it's not that I outright sinfully deny God and say, I don't need you, Lord. It's rather that... um, If I don't discipline myself, I just get on with life. I wake up and I have so many distractions. So the first thing I do is is I pick up my phone and I check my social media. And then my responsibilities join in. And I need to go and get the kids to go to school, to take them to school. And then I need to get to work. But we go to work, I'll just put on one of my favorite podcasts and I'll listen to that. And then I get to work and I've got 101 things I need to sort out. And I've got, to, I've got to firefight and I've got to get this done and I've got to get this done. I've got to get this done. And it goes through the day and it's got to lunchtime. And I've got a few meetings and I've got to keep going. And then it gets to home time and I'm grumpy. And I get back home and the kids see the worst of me. And I've gone through the day on autopilot, not realizing or acknowledging God throughout it. Does anyone else identify or is it just me? There's a few of us. Yes, good. Thank you. And um, the thing is, is that as I thought about it, we don't like to admit it, but there is something in our humanity that overestimates our ability to get through life independently. We overestimate ourselves, to be honest. And it's called pride. And, um, and, it's, and the problem is, is, it's something that the world celebrates. So it'll always, you'll always be told it's a good thing to do. Um, if you look at people who society looks up to, they are self-made, self, independent, self-confident people who love self-gratification, who will tell you that you are great and tell you work hard to achieve your greatness. And I just love this, this quote here. That's Michael Jordan. He's probably the world's greatest ever basketball player. And he said, you must expect great things of yourself before you can do them. I mean, it's all about expecting greatness in you. And yet Jesus completely turns this upside down and he says it's not the ones who put confidence in themselves who find happiness. It's the ones who put their whole confidence in God who are blessed. It's a complete twist. And the why we're blessed is because ours is the kingdom of heaven. And when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're not talking about harps and clouds and sky. We're talking about where Jesus reigns, where Jesus is king. And where Jesus is king, everything changes because it's actually under his rule. It's where we find freedom. 
It's where there's righteousness. It's where there's justice. It's where there's peace, because that's how God designed things to do. And Matthew tells us that we'll see the fullness of God's kingdom when we see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. But I want to say that God is establishing his kingdom on earth now in us. Every time someone turns to God and desperately declares their need for him, his kingdom advances and we see kingdom growth in people and in society. It was always God's plan. That's what Jesus demonstrated. It's what he asked his disciples to do. The call's still the same for us. And this wasn't anything new. It wasn't something that Jesus cooked up on himself. He was, all he was doing was pointing to the Old Testament anticipation of this. Look at the contrast. It's, as opposed to expecting great things of yourself, Isaiah 57, 15 says, This is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Contrite means to be remorseful, to be repentant. You know, God's so good that he wants to revive his people. He wants to bring life to us, give us life. But it's an act of grace. Some people's achievements don't qualify them more than others. So we've got to stop trying to earn it. We're all completely and utterly un worthy in ourselves and yet God sees us as worthy because of Jesus he wants to further advance his kingdom in us and further release his blessing on us but it takes us to get rid of those things that we're depending on to become more spiritually poor there's an amazing paradox the more spiritually poor you become as in the more you realise you need Christ and the more you give up relying on yourself, the more you let go of, the more spiritually rich you become. The more spiritually poor you become, the more spiritually rich you become. So how do we do this? I realise I'm rabbiting on about how we, but we've got to look at how do we actually do this? Well, I've just put three points together about how we look very quickly at the end, about how we live out being poor in spirit on a day-to-day basis. This is what James says, if we put the next slide on. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up in honour. And the three things I've highlighted in yellow are the three simple points that we can practically live out every single day. The first thing we can do is humble ourselves. What does that mean? It means ridding our pride before God. Putting him above our rights. Putting him above our opinions. Putting him above our desires. Putting him above our attitudes and our behaviour. Saying, God, you know better than I do. 
And it's an ongoing process. We do it when we become Christians and we give ourselves to the Lord, but we continue to do it. I know as I get older, I develop bad habits in my life and maybe get a bit more cynical and all the rest of it. And I have to continually come before God and say, Lord, I humble myself. Show me your way, not mine. And the reality is, and it's a sad reality, if we don't humble ourselves before the Lord, the world will humble us. You can't resist the devil if you've not humbled yourself before the Lord. He'll win every time trying to do it on your own. He'll win every time. You have to say, God, it's your way. And it's a lot more painful and hits us a lot more harder if we have to learn the hard way and the world humbles us. Um, I'm going I'm to give you a bit, give, quick example of this, right? Um, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you guys before, but when I went to Bible college, I had to do a Myers-Briggs personality test. Does anyone know what they are? Okay. So they did this assessment, and it gave me uh, an assessment of me, who I am as a person. In 2017, I hope I've changed a bit. But... Um, this is just a few extracts of what it says about me, right? The word cannot is not in John's vocabulary. He seeks his own solutions to problems where his independent nature comes into play. John is a high risk taker and his view is nothing ventured, nothing gained. Some may view him as stubborn and opinionated. John views it as the price you must pay for success. He has high ego strengths and may be viewed by some as egotistical. But he is often considered daring, bold, and gutsy. Now, you guys laugh. I thought it was brilliant when I got it, you know. And, and I, I was like to myself, oh, yeah, that's me. Great. And, and um, because at the end of the day, that's the kind of person that the world celebrates. And, and we get so caught up in it. These are the people that people look up to. And it's not that I was... Like, and listen, hear me right, you know. What it did for me at that time was it reiterated my own delusion about myself, about what I thought my capabilities were. And it was always for God's glory. I was using the gifts for God's glory, but I wasn't doing it in his strength. It was all about trying to prove me. It was coming from something deeper rooted. And, um, I, 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 you know, I... So I carried on trying to prove myself by doing a lot of things. The problem is, is that a few days later, I had a nervous breakdown and I could do nothing. And it stripped me. And all of a sudden, all that high egotistical strength and all the rest of it was gone. Because actually, it was an effort just to get out of bed. And it was in that point that I realized what being poor in spirit is. Because all of a sudden, every day was about having to just trust God to get through the day. And my opinions and my, about myself or what I could do were stripped because I couldn't do it. And I learned the hard way. But you know what? I can put my hands on my heart and say, I am so glad it happened now. Because it made me realize that I am that spiritual beggar. I need to trust God. I need to cry out. And what I'm getting at, and it was the main key to recovery about continually humbling myself, not overestimating my capability. And now I feel a lot better. And it's really important that I continue to do that. And I don't fall back into that trap. 
Now, what I am not saying is humbling yourself is going around, I'm rubbish, I'm so bad, I'm a failure. That's not humility. That is pride. That is thinking about yourself and putting yourself first. Humility is having a true view of yourself in light of who God is. Knowing that God wasn't impressed with my Myers-Briggs personality because he made me anyway. Knowing that whatever achievements I've had or my greatest skills in my life or whatever virtue I've done or whatever, it was for God's glory anyway. It wasn't about me. Knowing that whatever my greatest skills were, they count for nothing if they're not in Christ. And when we accept that and we humble ourselves, we stop doing a Michael Jordan and expecting great things of ourselves. We rather expect great things of who God is. Humbling ourselves is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. Just thinking about God and knowing it's about him. So we can continually do that. The second one is drawing close. Listen, it's simple, but if you need something in life, you go and get it. If you need, we do our food every, every Saturday, our shop, because we need food on a Saturday. We need petrol in the car, go to the petrol station. If we accept that we really, really need God, drawing close to him needs to be the most natural things in our life. And there's easy ways to do that, you know, there's a simple ways of reading the Bible, praying, and they are disciplines that I really believe that we as Christians need to do every day of our life. It just should be second nature, it's good for us, it's helpful. But it goes beyond that. How do you draw close to God in the everyday when you're driving your kids to work, to school, or you get on with work, and it's the mundane of life? It's not like we have this spiritual normal separation, everything is spiritual in Christ. So how do we do it? Well, Rachel's friend, she's been challenging Rachel on this, and it's, it's actually really challenged me as well, is that whatever situation she goes in, whether it be dropping the kids off, going to work, before she goes in that place, she just acknowledges God. She just says, Lord, thank you that you're with me today. Lord, what are you doing in my workplace? And what that does is... It's a simple way of being poor in spirit in the mundane and every day and recognising that even in the things that come second nature to us, we need God. But it's also bringing in his kingdom into the mundane. And it's quite amazing that when you do that, the situations that come up and arise, it's so fun. And uh, the final one that we do, so we, we humble ourselves, we draw close, and thirdly, we purify ourselves. The way we do that is, if we are poor in spirit, if Christ is really all we have, what's getting in the way? What needs to go? What needs to go? What is holding us back? What have we overestimated the importance of in our lives? What mindset, what attitude, what behavior or desire that we, we hold on to because we think somehow it's beneficial to us? But actually, I think God's just revealing that it, all it's doing is subtly dragging us away from the reliance on him. It may even be a person that does that to us. I don't know. And sometimes there can be an understandable fear of letting go of that because we've only ever known life with it. And it can be difficult to break out. But I just want to reiterate those words as I finish. 
blessed are the poor in spirit. It's a blessing. The cost of what you give up is nothing compared to the value of what you receive. For the kingdom of heaven is yours. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This poor in spirit, it's a foundational beatitude. All the stuff that we're going to talk about comes from this one, right? Um, We can talk about mourning. We can talk about seeking righteousness. But if you don't recognize your need for God, you won't see the benefit of those. There is no benefit to mourning if you don't have the comforter. You can't seek righteousness if Jesus, who is, who is righteousness, is at the center of your life. There's no value to persecution without his kingdom. So what I want to do as we finish is give us an opportunity to almost recommit ourselves to acknowledge again, humble ourselves, say, Lord, I need you. I recognize that this has probably been quite direct, and I'm sorry for that. No, I'm not. Um, and, 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 but, and, and it's taught to me as much. I'm not preaching out people. It's taught to me as much. But I just think the Lord wants to meet us. He says, draw close to God, and he will draw close to you. So why don't we just stand to our feet and just have a minute just waiting before the Lord. Lord, we just humble ourselves again before you. Recognize that we have nothing to give that impresses you. All you want is us. And we need you so much. We need you. I just pray firstly, Holy Spirit, that you'd birth in us a new conviction, just a glimpse of how much we need you. I'm sorry for when I've tried to pursue happiness via my own means and I've not lived out the truth that I am blessed because of the privileged position that you have put me in with you. Lord, we want to draw close to you. Hmm. 
And we thank you for your words that as we draw close to you, you promise you will draw close to us. And I thank you that it's you who washes us clean. But Lord, would you help us reveal in our own lives what it is that maybe we're not relying you on, on you. What it is that we think are our safety nets and that we've overestimated their abilities. And we want to completely rely on you. Thank you that the cost of what we give up is nothing compared to the value that you give us, Lord God. That the more spiritually poor we become, the more spiritually rich in you we become. That the more we depend on you, the more we see your kingdom come in our lives, in our church, in our families, in our society, in our workplaces. Holy Spirit, would you help us as uh, we go through this series, as we say, yes, we want to put you first. We want to put you first, Lord God. May we see growth beyond anything we can imagine and anything we could do in ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Just get the sense, and I don't want anyone to, you know, visually respond. You know if this is you or not. But there is someone who is battling financially. And they've been through material lack and they've been through material gain. And I think that this might be a period of material gain and I think that God's wanting to just remind you that he is the giver and um, it's not about how much you earn or what you have he's giving it you specifically for a reason for his kingdom and as you trust him with it he will bless you well beyond your imagination but don't overestimate that ability of finance he doesn't want it to become a problem he's giving it to you to bless others and Lord if that's of you I just really pray that you just speak tenderly to that person you'd encourage them 
in your name. Amen.